From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Adi Siegel from Happy. Adi, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks so much for having me here, Brad. Absolutely. Really excited for today's discussion. So first, can you kick us off by telling me a, a bit about yourself, who you are, as well as your company and what you guys do? Sure. I am the CEO of Happy. We are a Menlo Park-based as well as New York-based startup. I have been born and raised in New Jersey, longtime cyclist, love spending time with my friends and family. And my other defining factor that launched my other career or my whole career is that I'm a med school dropout that then led me to do a, a full career in health tech, which is eventually how we got here. I love that. So that's a bit of like windy road of how you found your way here, but... Sounds like you're up to some cool stuff. What are you doing? You're telling me a bit about your product. You have something really innovative. Yeah. Happy provides non-clinical emotional support. And in service of that, we also launched the Atlantic Listening Academy, which trains professionals in listening. We believe that it's not just a job to be a listener. So the people on the Happy platform, but every professional can get better at this. So listening is what we truly believe in that can heal the world and drive your business. It improves company culture and retention and how you relate to one another as well as your customers. And ultimately through all that and enhancing the mental wellness of your company, both through our academy as well as using our platform as a service, you really do drive the bottom line. I love it. So obviously CEO, entrepreneur, building, growing a company, all that. What sort of advice do you have for others out there that are in a similar position? Maybe tactics, strategies you've used to grow the company, lessons you've learned, what does that look like? Most lessons come from failures, right? And so I've had quite a few of those. But I'd say the biggest thing is you can have your grandiose vision, but then try to pare it back. We all want to change the world. We all think that we're going to build the next massive company, but just try to do one product, one feature at a time and test it first. So I was just, I was telling you, Brad, that I was just at South by Southwest and down in Austin, I was talking with someone and she said she had this brilliant idea for some local restaurant community stuff. And I said, okay, cool. You're going to build She said she wanted to build a whole app. And I said, before you build an app, just see if you can gather the information, right? She wanted to work with consumers and with bars and restaurants. I said, so just do a newsletter, see if people will open it. And on the other side, instead of having an app, just do say a Google form and see if the restaurants will open that up and provide you with the information for whatever specials you want to sell or whatever her full concept was, but do that. And if you can prove especially if you're building a marketplace type thing, that both sides of the market are willing to participate at the lowest barrier to entry. So you don't have to make a new app. You don't have to, the user doesn't have to download it. You know, just send me, I'll send you a link once a week. I don't say a Wednesday, you give me your weekend specials. I'll publish that. That's going to go out in the listserv that I've created. You make it five lines. So it's an easy to read on your screen. You don't even have to scroll. If you get that and you get open rates that are excellent, and then you get the final part, which is people going to use that because they found it out, then start building the app, then start building the community. But don't go all out. Don't spend all of your big money to build this new amazing product without actually trying it first. One of my favorite books in the startup space is a book called Talking to Humans. 
And the premise is that two scientists got together with a business person, a marketing person, and they said, we're going to invent the, the world's best pillow. And so they were experts in ergonomics and in orthopedics, and then of course, branding it. And so they make the most amazing pillow. They stay in the lab. They finally come out with the product. They've ordered the most comfortable materials from around the world, and they go to sell it and nobody buys it. The lesson though, is that they never once went out to the streets and actually asked people what they were looking for in a pillow or test it with a prototype. And so I really think that, and this comes from myself and like building things too fast because you think it's the end all and be all, just try something first. So that's what I tell my team all the time too. And of course I get that from our CTO and head of product, which is, hey, how can we pare that down and just see if, it, if the small part works first and then we'll add on to it. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I think people think, hey, let's go do all this super complicated stuff, build an app, code things, all this, whereas just keep it simple and test things. And you might save yourself a lot of time if it turns out differently than you thought it would. The one thing that might be changing that is ChatGPT. If you can literally describe to it and maybe even show it a hand drawing and a wireframe and it provides you then with the fully coded app, that's pretty amazing. If you take three hours to do that and you have a fuller product, why not? But what that's not doing is proving anything about the human side of every business, which will people buy it? Will people use it? Absolutely. Let's talk about content, LinkedIn, videos, all that stuff. You're doing this. You're creating some videos, post them on LinkedIn. What led you to decide to do that? And how does that fit in with what you're doing at Happy? Brad, the first thing I should say is that I hate social media. In fact, I don't have accounts on any of the other ones except LinkedIn. Or that is to say, I used to have accounts, but I don't use them. Some of them are actually shut down because I think social media, certainly on the personal side, is terrible for us as humans. I think LinkedIn plays a different role though. Certainly over the pandemic, the tenor on the platform has changed. And so everyone just started sharing everything about their lives instead of just pure networking. And now it seems to be more of everyone just bragging about themselves. And what ends up happening is you go out there and you doom scroll even on LinkedIn and say, oh my God, I didn't sell my company. I didn't get that next promotion. I'm still at the same company or I'm unemployed while everyone else is having a great life. Because the other thing is not just people and their professional updates, but you see them with their personal professional updates. Oh, I'm with my team in the middle of Cancun right now. And you're like, that's not my life. I'm stuck at home. So it can be really dangerous. But one of the things that does work is people see you. And so if you're out there and you put yourself out there, your message for your company will be heard. And so that's what I started yeah. to do with the happy moment. So people can look it up on LinkedIn. We've also started to cross post it on all the social platforms on behalf of the company. So they take my videos and put it out there on behalf of the company. I'm not personally doing it with my own handles, but the happy moment is either a fact about loneliness, listening, the world of social science, and or how it relates to our platform at Happy with active listening as a service and listening in the workplace. I gotta tell you this, first of all, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy and I'm not perfect at it. And I certainly was not great at it when I started it. I'm only a few weeks into it. Obviously it got your attention, but every day gets a little bit better. And I try to do it in a way where it's totally authentic and I don't edit it. And I'm really not planning too much around it. In fact, 
I worked with my team to come up with a whole content calendar of research and facts that we were going to use. And at the end of the day, I started just doing what was top of mind, either by reading the headlines or a research paper that I had read the night before. And that's really what's resonating with me. And I think people like those messages more. Absolutely. I love it. So how do you decide like what to talk about? Is it just what you're feeling for the day? Or it sounds like you might have put together a content calendar, but then, you know, pivoted a bit from there. Yeah. So it really is top of mind of the day. It can be what's flowing through my inbox in the news. Again, some research that an academic partner sent us that I think is really interesting. I got so many different information sources. I can't always tell you where it comes from. And sometimes it's just an emotional thing. While I was down at a recent conference, I was just like, this is going great. Happy is resonating with people. We need to spread this. And just that message alone is a happy moment. I love it. And what are you looking for from this? Are you looking for engagement or views or people messaging you? How are you measuring it? We're not measuring it, to be clear. So it's mostly thought leadership. It's not like we have a unique link in there that if you click on that one with the post, it goes and downloads the app. And then we know that, oh, Adi's video worked on a specific conversion. This is more really about getting the word out there and evangelizing the concept of listening, the global listening movement that we're really leading the way for, as well as happy as a product. I love that. So you're not going into this thinking like, okay, this video has got to generate three sales. It's you want to be a thought leader and evangelist in the space. Hopefully when somebody thinks of this concept, they think of you type of thing. Exactly. There are other quote influencers that we pay as part of a marketing campaign. And those certainly, and the companies we work with to do that, know that we need an ROI on that. But for me, it's my time, right? I'm not getting, I'm not getting a paid extra in my salary to do this. This is part of my job. And part of my job, a big part of a CEO's job is to be out there and loud about what we're doing. Unless of course you're running a stealth company. But other than that, it you gotta be the best spokesperson for the company. And that has to come in the most authentic way possible. So what's the most difficult challenge you face as CEO and how did you overcome it? I think we're still trying to overcome it. The most difficult challenge is that people don't know what listening is. It is a new concept. So when we go out there and talk about it, 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 we first have to describe what active listening is or what we call deep listening today. How do you do it? Who pays for it? All these concepts are new. When you see some of the consumer packaged goods brands come out, they're like just doing a fancier, newer or available online product that we already knew about. When I will not name the product, but they're cool sneakers that also look nice. And when that type of product hit the market, it was... It was pretty simple. We all know that we need to wear sneakers. If you're men in particular, you know that shoes aren't that comfortable. Women you know that even more, right? So there's actually multiple brands like this now. So we know that we want we need shoes. We know that we want something that's more comfortable. We know that we want something that's more comfortable that can look good even in dress environments. And we also know, by the way, that we are expected to pay for our own clothing as opposed to something that might be considered healthcare, as opposed to something that might be considered mental wellness, in these types of categories, people expect that someone else or some plan you've already paid in for into will pay for it. But that's not the case right now. Yeah, we have a whole B2B side, but we are direct to consumer. We are direct to consumer 
in a place where you didn't expect it to be direct to consumer before necessarily, and also with a service you've never heard of. So that is why, and that is why I spend all this time talking publicly about what we're doing. And that is probably still our biggest challenge. Absolutely. What's thing, one thing you wish you had known when you first became a CEO that you know now? It goes back to what we were discussing before, Brad, which is you really got to test everything. And it takes a long time. And I'm one to come up with big ideas and just say, let's build it, let's build it, let's build it, and then figure out how it works. But the idea of iterative and rapid prototyping really does make sense. The idea that Reed Hoffman said years ago, if you like what it looks like, you've waited too long. These are all true things. On the other hand, we are not in the early days of PayPal where you can look like a crappy product as long as it works. We are in the day of millions, hundreds of millions of apps that we're competing against, multiple products in the same market. It does have to look good, but a lot of it can also be jerry-rigged on the back end. A lot of it can be manual until it, even if it looks automated on the back end or on the front end if it looks automated. So those are the kind of things like that I wish I knew when I first started, not just in this job, but in other jobs as a CEO, is just get something to the market, however you can. And if it works, then you should be so lucky and you'll figure out how to make it better. I love that. And if you could give your younger self a piece of advice, what would that be? I know it probably is a similar type of question to the last one, but is there any pointed advice you'd give? Yeah, it's funny. People say that you should follow your dreams or your academic pursuits. And I was on a different path. We discussed earlier that I dropped out of med school pretty early on. And before that, I was a humanities student. I wish someone had just told me, go get that big job first. It would have made probably some of these steps that I've obviously accomplished at this point a bit easier. Go work at Google. Go work at McKinsey. Go work at one of the big tech's banks or consulting firms only because, not because I believe in that most of that work at all, but because it signals a pedigree that others will believe in you. So when you're going out to raise money, it is very unfortunate, but people look at where you've worked and where you've gone to school as a proxy for, can we trust this person with money and will they execute well? And there are plenty of people who don't have the pedigree, who are incredibly successful, one, and two, in the future will be simply because they're really good at what they do, but it's just a little harder to get to that, even that starting point. If you didn't do the things that the people with the money who are investing in you expect and look for. Yep. Makes sense. And can you, can you describe a time where you had to pivot business strategy and how did you come to that decision? What did that look like? I would say that in a startup, you're constantly pivoting. We, right now, even with our product, it's direct to consumer. We have launched a big B2B division to sell into companies and sell into healthcare providers. But some of the thoughts that we had around, oh, what's going to make this skyrocket? Maybe it will be subscriptions. Maybe it will be pricing packages. Maybe it will be bulk sales to other groups. What we learned from a lot of customer interviews was actually what we offer now is what they really love. And if we could make that better, then I think we'll grow. And the example there is 
while someone might want to buy a package or they might want to buy a subscription because they might save money or scheduling times. That's a big one too, which I was gung-ho on when I started in this position was, hey, everything should be scheduled. The logistics around on-demand are really hard. It turns out that's exactly what our customers like. The thing that differentiates us by and large from therapy is that we're always available. And so to say that we're going to be like every other mental health offering out there, we have to find a time in a specific segment of time that you're going to talk. It does not make a big enough difference to the consumer to say, oh, I'll keep using that. Whereas when you're tossing and turning in bed at 2 a.m., Happy's there to answer the call. So the it's more of a, for us, it was a pivot in thinking more than a pivot in actually how we were building the business or the actual product. Absolutely. And if you could offer one piece of advice to your industry as a whole, what would that be? Listen more. I love it. Well, hey, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining today and sharing all your wisdom and insights. Thanks, Brad. This was a real pleasure, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Absolutely.